And today's scripture reading is going to be John 21, verses 15 through 17, which could be found on page 116 of the New Testament. That is John 21, verses 15 through 17, on page 116 of the New Testament. And real quick, before we begin, I want to give a little bit of a backstory on this passage. Um, one of my favorite stories in the entire New Testament is um, definitely when Jesus says to Simon Peter, cast your nets over one more time. Anyone who's ever fished and is tired of getting stumped, it was a big leap for Simon Peter to throw his nets over. And sure enough, he pulled up those nets with a bountiful harvest that he couldn't believe. That was at the beginning before Jesus and the, the um, apostles took their ministry to the Sea of Galilee. And in today's passage, we're kind of coming around full circle. So at this point, Jesus has come back twice already. And unbeknownst to Simon Peter, this is the third time he comes back. And again, he's out at sea, all night fishing, doesn't catch anything, thinking about hanging up his hat. You know, I'm done, no more fishing. And sure enough, this mysterious person on the shore says, hey, Simon Peter, cast it over one more time. And he does, and just like before, up comes a bounty of fish. Not a single bit of the net is torn. Again, if you've ever known fishing, that isn't a miraculous thing to happen, to have that many fish and no torn net to have to repair. And not only that, he said, come back to shore. Bring your fish. I have a nice charcoal fire going there, and I have bread, and we'll cook your fish, and I'll give you breakfast. It's an all-around awesome meal deal that he's kind of providing there. But it kind of sets the stage for something very prophetic that Jesus says to Peter in this next passage we're going to read. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ben. Well, amazingly, we have reached the end of John. <laughs> We've been talking about the Gospel of John now for several months, and, and here we are at, at uh, the very end uh, of the Gospel of John. And uh, um, as we have continue to be on this quest as we as we walk through the New Testament in various ways through the Gospels and through some of the other uh, books of uh, Scripture, even the Old Testament as well. We're on this quest to really try and figure out what does it mean to actually live out the kingdom of heaven. And I think that on this quest, it, it, it's in some ways challenging for us. I think, I think this quest takes us beyond what kind of the normalcy of, of church life might be about. And today, uh, as we look at uh, this closing passage in the Gospel of John, we kind of remember uh, a new 
context, this whole gospel and, and what Jesus was challenging his followers to do and to be um, as they live out the kingdom of heaven. You know, uh, uh, a lot of times when pastors preach on, on this passage that Ben just read, um, they focus on uh, this call to Peter to feed my sheep and to, to uh, feed my lambs. Uh, that particular call that, that was reminiscent of square back in Luke 5 that, that Ben was talking about when uh, Jesus said, you will no longer get, uh, you know, fish for fish, you'll be a fisher of men. And uh, so uh, it is a, kind of a full, full circle thing that Jesus uh, brings Peter to. And, uh, um, and really, it's what uh, pastors focus on a lot when they're looking at this uh, particular chapter. Um, Peter's commissioning, sort of, and it's, 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 uh, Jesus speaks to him three times. In the, near, in the Near East, it was customary, if you wanted to uh, somehow uh, emphasize a solemn obligation, you would say something three times. And so here's Jesus saying this three times to Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, uh, etc. three different times, uh, letting him know that this is a sol- solemn obligation. So pastors preach on that a lot. I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that. Um, you've probably already heard it anyway. Uh, sometimes uh, pastors will preach on this foreshadowing. A little bit later on in the, in the um, chapter, uh, Jesus is talking to Peter about how, how potentially he might die, and how, and then Peter brings John in on it, and how John might die. And of course, we know that tradition has it that Peter was uh, died in Rome. He was crucified, and, and uh, tradition says that he uh, uh, asked to be crucified upside down. Have you heard that before? Yeah, because he didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus. So um, sometimes pastors preach on that. But what I found really interesting about this passage as I was looking at it is that is that it talks once again in, in the Gospel of John, talks about this whole idea of sheep and lambs. And that that really is a motif that runs throughout uh, his Gospel. This idea of, of, of us being lambs and being sheep. That, that metaphor uh, that's there, and Jesus being the shepherd, and then and then commissioning those uh, others to be shepherds uh, as well. Remember, uh, at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John the Baptist is baptizing people there at the River Jordan. Jesus comes along; he's going to get baptized too. And John the Baptist had all kinds of followers with him. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said to his followers, "Behold." The Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, right? Okay, so there you have, right from the get-go, right from the very beginning, in chapter 1, you have this idea uh, of lambs, that Jesus is the Lamb. And then we go on, and and in chapter 10, Jesus talks about, he's not only the Lamb, who takes away the sin of the world, what we just sang about, uh, with the songs that God had, but, but also this idea that he's the great shepherd, and that we're the sheep, and that that those that, that want to uh, live according to God's heart will recognize the shepherd's voice, just like a sheep recognizes uniquely its own shepherd's voice and will uh, follow. So that's in chapter uh, 10. Chapter 19, of course, is uh, the description of the crucifixion. And really, that whole chapter reflects Passover. Jesus rides into 
uh, uh, Jerusalem on the back of that donkey. He rides in and, and he's tested for several days by the religious and political leaders, just like the, the sheep that were uh, uh, um, raised uh, for Passover were uh, looked at to see if there were any blemishes in them. And then uh, the, he stands before Pilate. Pilate can find nothing wrong with him. Remember that? In chapter 19. Reminiscent of, of uh, uh, Isaiah 53. He was dumb. He stood dumb, not speaking before those that accused him. Then he was pierced for our transgressions in Isaiah 53. And so you see this all the way through this motif. And when we come to our passage today, this, this idea of lambs and, and of sheep. And in fact, the reality is, is that actually this motif runs throughout the Bible. You go to Exodus, and right when they're, when they're being, the people of Israel are being delivered out of, out of the hands of Pharaoh and the Egyptians out of slavery that they've been in for 400-some years, they escape the angel of death by the blood of the lamb. Yeah. And so you see that motif, and then the, the lambs are roasted. When they're roasted, they're spread out like this, just like Not boiled. They were roasted so that they could be like this. Foreshadowing. We're going to be talking more about that uh, later this summer as we talk about the, the great feasts, the seven great feasts of Israel, and how those feasts foreshadowed the reality uh, of Jesus. We, uh, we could see King David, the greatest king of Israel. As we look at the, the, the scriptures, and, and he was a, before he was king, a shepherd. Yeah, he was a shepherd. And he wrote uh, some wonderful psalms, and probably the most beautiful psalm that we're most familiar with is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul, and so forth. And so we see that, that motif of, of sheep and lambs that, that runs throughout uh, all of Scripture. In Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel, the prophet, likens the the leaders of Israel, to shepherds who are not caring about their flock, the people of Israel, God's flock, actually. They're, they're not caring about God. And so he castigates, uh, denounces the, the leaders of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 33. So we can see this, this motif that runs all the way through uh, the, um, the Bible, the in Scripture, lambs or sheep, that word is used 500 times. 500 times we see that motif of lambs and sheep. This idea of, of uh, uh, either Jesus being the lamb or being the shepherd, and they are the lambs and the sheep as well. So let me just share with you, with that in mind, just share with you uh, three quick thoughts regarding lambs as we end this uh, journey through uh, the Gospel of John. First... Lambs are cute, <laughs> right? <laughs> They're cute. They're these cute little things. And, you know, we like to go to those petting farms and uh, used to um, uh, take our kids to petting farms. And, you know, they would they'd always, oh, there's the sheep. And, you know, and they're so soft. And how, how many of you been to, how many of you petted a sheep before? They'd claw your head. Rachel, you've never petted a sheep? Oh, yeah, Okay. I was going to say, we got to get you to a petting farm. <laughs> All right. So, so 
Lambs are cute, but they also are weak and vulnerable. Okay? They're not like a horse. You know, they're not like that. They're not even like a goat. Sheep are weak and vulnerable. And we, as followers of Jesus, are the same way. That's why we have confession of sin in the third commandment. Because we are fragile. We are weak. We are, are vulnerable. We're finite. And we goof up all the time. Even if we choose, just like her offertory, even if, if we choose not to experience God's joy, make decisions that we know are against God's will, such as lambs, He still is there, right? Holding our hands close to us. In, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, not many of you were wise by human standards or influential or noble by birth. He's talking about the followers of Jesus now. He says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things to nullify the things that are. Most people in the world are not strong. Most people in the world are not taught. There's only, the, there's, it, when, we, when you look at the world, the seven and a half uh, billion people that are in the world, there is an elite one percent of people that wield power, and then there's the rest of us. We're not the ones that are powerful. We're not the ones of seeming ourselves. The ones that are powerful, we're vulnerable. And so James James writes in chapter 2, Listen, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He uh, promised those who love Him? We are weak and, and poor and vulnerable. You know, when uh, Psalm 23 is, was, was written by Paul and uh, written by David, he understood what it was to be uh, a shepherd. And that really, that, that psalm exemplifies our vulnerability and our weakness. Sheep have to be taken care of. Before uh, they will go into a pasture, the shepherd in the Middle East will go into the, into the pasture first and remove any large stones. Why? Because sheep will trip over them and get hurt. They remove the thistles and, and the thorns that are, that are in the pasture. Goats can eat those things, but a sheep can't. They'll find pasture land that is beside quiet water because sheep freak out over babbling brooks. <laughs> we might like them, but sheep don't. Okay? And, and uh, sheep um, have flies and pests that go around their faces and so forth, and they can't get rid of those things, and so the, the shepherd will put oil and anoint my head with oil, my couple with clothes in Psalm 23. That's what they're talking about, the, the shepherd anointing the sheep's head with oil to protect it from those flies and, and those pests. And so uh, sheep are, are most definitely weak and vulnerable. They're cute, but they're weak and vulnerable. And there are so many of the poor and, and lowly in our world who experience injustice, who experience in, in one way or another uh, abuse in our world around us. It's, it's interesting that, I mean, I always tell people uh, uh, when they 
question right now. I go, well, I'm in Buckley. And I go, oh, Buckley. And, you know, some know where that is, some don't. I say it's like Brigadoon. It's this, it's this special place. Buckley is this special place that, that is kind of all unto itself. And it's just this wonderful place. Butterflies are flying, flying everywhere. No, I don't. <laughs> but, but the reality is, is, that, is that most of life is not like Buckley. Most of life across our globe is, a, is full of pain and heartache. Because people are weak and people are vulnerable. Take Kamani, for instance. Kamani uh, lives in India. She's 10 years old. Her, she's, she is um, uh, a bonded laborer. She's 10 years old. Pardon me? 11. Okay. Close to senior. 10 years old. She spends 10 hours a day, six days a week, making cigarettes at 10 years old. Her dad t- took out a loan. He, 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 he couldn't get by, and so he had to take out a loan from the person that owns her cigarette factory, $75 loan, which he can't pay back because he needs the 75 cents she gets paid each week to keep the family going. And so she'll never get out of this, this bonded laboring that she needs. She gets 30 minutes a day off. The rest of the time, for nine and a half hours, she's making cigarettes, closing the room with cigarettes. That's how our world lives. That's how our world that's what people experience. The sheep, the lambs that are so dear and close to God's heart are weak and vulnerable. Secondly, lambs are not predators. Okay? Lambs are not predators. Lambs are meant to nibble contentedly on, on their pasture land uh, grass and, and to hang out with each other. Lambs Lambs like to flock together. They don't like to be off by themselves. When Jesus talks about going after the one and leaving the 99, it's an anomaly. It's not normal for lambs to be off by themselves. They like to be together. They like to flock together. Be with each other. Sheep naturally do that. It's interesting. Lori and I watched a movie, uh, oh, maybe a month or two now ago, called The Showman. Have you seen that movie? With, with, yeah, The Showman with uh, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, about P.T. Barnum. It's really kind of interesting, isn't it? It's what? The Greatest Showman. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> the Greatest Showman. I had that one wrong. Okay. The Greatest Showman. P.T. Barnum. And uh, uh, one of the things that Barnum would like to do is he would bring ministers in uh, to his, uh, um, you know, uh, his, he had a kind of a, show that he would present, not, not a circus show, but uh, where people could come in and, and uh, like a wax museum thing, one of these unique and amazing uh, type things. And he would bring people in uh, and he would uh, have an enclosure, and in that enclosure was a lion, a tiger, and a panther, and a sheep. And they'd be all, they'd be there all sitting together, you know, in this, in this enclosure, and, uh, and uh, reputedly, a, a minister asked him, 
how do they, they all get along? And T.T. Barnum's response was, they get along just fine, as long as they replenish the land every day. <laughs> lambs aren't predators. There are a lot of predators around. But lambs themselves are not predators. If you look, it's an anomaly. It's not right for lambs to, to, to be at each other, to, to be biting each other and kicking each other. That's not, they're, they're not predators. In Galatians 5, if you read that chapter in Galatians 5, Paul is writing to the, the churches in the area of Galatians. He says, don't backbite with one another. Don't be malicious towards each other. Don't hold bitterness in your heart towards others. Because as sheep, that's not normal. We're not, we're not meant to be predators ourselves. It's Jesus' followers. It's that motif of, of sheep and lambs. And, and I mentioned the Ezekiel 34. God's flock, you know, being, being uh, led by uh, these um, uh, shepherds that were false shepherds. And, uh, and they were being denounced by Ezekiel. I don't know if you've read about this. Um, over the last month or so, down in Texas, the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, National Southern Baptist Convention, have you read about that? Have you read about what's taking place down there? They're renowned, two-decade-long uh, president of the uh, Southern Baptist Convention uh, and also he was the president of a seminary, was fired because he was making comments about women that were misogynist comments. He was making derogatory comments about women and also giving advice to women that if they were getting beat up in their homes that they should not leave but should pray and ask God to change their husbands. Well, okay, but leave. Get out of there. Right? Don't stick to stay around and, and, and get, uh, but anyway, he got fired. And then uh, the, lead, the, the leaders of uh, the women's groups in the Southern Baptist Convention, led by a woman named Beth Moore, who some of you may have heard, she does a lot of uh, teaching stuff, uh, wrote a letter to the leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention saying, we have been treated horribly for as long as the Southern Baptist Convention has existed. And we don't want to be treated that way anymore. Beth Moore says, Many women have experienced horrific abuses within the power structures of our Christian world. So we're not talking about Christians who somehow run into uh, folks that aren't Christians out there who put them down and speak badly about them. And so we're talking about, about Christians who have experienced abuse from other Christians. And sheep are not predators. Beth Moore talks about, she's, she's a nationally recognized uh, teacher. She teaches women because she's not allowed to teach men in the Southern Baptist Convention. And, but she said that she would be an evangelist pastor going to some conference somewhere and not one pastor would talk to her because she was a woman. Carol Summers, who uh, was a rally organizer at this past uh, uh, national meeting, uh, uh, 
put together a demonstration uh, in order to reform the church culture of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention and train pastors and church leaders how to treat people properly. Let's plan that out. She said, we follow Christ's example who treated women with dignity and honor as equal, valuable members of his church in the culture of his day. What Jesus did. Jesus treated women with dignity and honor. It was something that was unique. And 60% of the church growth in the first 300 years of, of Christianity were women they, that came in. Because they experienced something completely different from the prevailing culture that they were in. And we've carried that over into our own Hashtag MeToo movement thing is just a, a little tip of the iceberg of how women have been treated for thousands of years. Deep or weak and vulnerable. And the powerful can take advantage of those who are weak and vulnerable. There is evil in our world. People that are abused, people that experience injustice, there are people that exert undue power over others and violence and, and domination. But lambs are not supposed to be predators. The church is supposed to show forth to everyone else the reality of God's life in our world. Finally, the Bible tells about lamb power. Not lamb. Serena thought I was talking about lamb power. No, lamb. Lamb. Lamb power. Right, and and so so that's a, 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 a term that was coined uh, in a book that uh, our Sunday school class, adult Sunday school class, read uh, a few months ago called "The Rapture Exposed." And uh, Barbara Lawson, who's the author of that book, is actually teaching at Holden Village at Chelan. And Gloria and I are leaving after uh, church today to go to Holden Village, and we've been taking uh, a class from Barbara Lawson. So that should be really fun. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, For the message of the uh, cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There is land power. And land power is more powerful than anything else that exists in all the universe, seen and unseen. Land power it is what is most powerful. And all that is, even though it may not seem that way, it actually is. In the, the book, The Rapture Exposed, uh, Rossing uh, is quoting someone uh, that says, Land power um, is uh, a new way of life, a lifestyle oriented around Jesus' self giving love. Land power is the power of vulnerable but strong love to change the world. It is the power of nonviolent resistance and courage in opposition to injustice. It is the power of solidarity and forgiveness. It's not detente. It's not power matching power so that there's just kind of this equilibrium. Land power is nonviolent. Land power comes against abuse and violence 
and domination with grace and forgiveness and loving kindness and perseverance and will not be denied. That is Lance Howard. There's a book that, one of my favorite books uh, that was written a few years ago by a guy named Gary Haugen. Uh, Gary Haugen uh, was a lawyer who worked for the State Department and then uh, he was in Rwanda uh, when the uh, whole uh, Tutsi, uh, uh, I forget the other, what was the other group? Uh, Hutus, yeah, Hutus and Tutsis. That whole thing took place, and he was just so aghast at what was taking place that um, he started his own organization to uh, talk about justice in the midst of injustice. Listen to, to what he writes here. I'm going to read this a little bit. I hope this isn't too boring. Listen to what he writes because this is challenging. This is land power. He says, in Sister K's country, this is the initial K, in Sister K's country, there is a booming business in forced prostitution. The local police protect it and even hunt down girls who try to run away, often returning them to the stockades where they are held. Sister K is personally aware of almost 60 brothels where she has found hundreds of young girls kept in subjection by whip, fist, boot, and bulldog, some girls only 13 or 14 years old. In Robert E.'s country, abusive child labor is a plague on the land. Where he lives, about 2 million children between the ages of 10 and 15 years old work in textile mills, tobacco processing plants, mines, and other factories. Children work 12 hours a day, six days a week, sometimes on dangerous night shifts, losing limbs. In Sister Jay's country, summary execution by mobs is a way of life. The majority ethnic group maintains its dominance over the minority ethnic group through the intimidation of extrajudicial murder. Every year, 50, 60, or 100 people are burned alive or hanged after being accused of committing some offense against the major majority ethnic group. These brutal events are gruesome public affairs, often performed in the presence of local officials. Sister K, Brother E, Sister J, or actually Kate, and uh, um, let me find out who the, the guy, uh, Edgar, and Jesse. And they all experienced these issues in the United States of America. Not someplace over there. Dr. Kate Bushnell infiltrated the, the whole brothel system with a, in the late 1800s. And he went to the legislature because it was being supported by the local magistrates. And they finally passed laws that broke down that whole brothel system that was bringing in huge dollars. Where it was located. 
Edgar Murphy, and he was uh, uh, challenging the, the child uh, labor laws, also went through the legislature. These are Christians, by the way. The reason why they were motivated is because of their faith in Jesus, because of land power. They, uh, Edgar Murphy went to the legislature and, and also um, uh, churches, and they gathered together in force to uh, disband and change the laws of the land regarding child labor in this country. Jesse Ames was a person who uh, was working uh, at the turn of the century, the 20th century, at the turn of the 20th century to stop the lynching of black people in this country. That were public displays and supported by local politicians. And she got together the, the temperance league of women in the South who were all Christians out of Christian churches. And they finally, in the early 1950s, right around the time I was born, finally stopped the lynching. Although, there's still is racial injustice in this land, right? It's going on today. But these people said, we will not allow this kind of abuse. We will not allow this kind of violence. We will not allow this kind of domination of the powerful over the weak. We will take on land power and bring about change. And when we talk about what it means to live out the kingdom of heaven, we're not just talking about our relationships with each other, getting along copacetically with each other. That's important. That's really important. But we are also talking about when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we are talking about confronting the powers that be. And in the Gospel of John, that's what Jesus did. Over and over and over again, we see Jesus challenging and confronting the religious leaders who were endorsing the abusive politics that led to people being indebted in slavery within their own land, led to murders and violence, and Jesus confronted those powers. And you can see, as I've talked about many times, the escalating conflict throughout the gospel, right? But Jesus said land power is what's most important. Gary Haugen says in his book, over time, he says, I've come to see questions about suffering. We all have questions about suffering. Why does God allow suffering in this world? Haugen says, over time I've come to see questions about suffering in the world not so much as questions about God's character, but as questions about the obedience and faith of God's people. So if we're going to take kingdom of heaven living seriously, we have to not only be committed in our relationship with each other, we have to ask for eyes to see hearts to feel. The reality
discoveries what's going on in this world around us. And then he says, Stand. Power of God's Spirit. Power of the Lamb. John's Gospel is about Lamb power. Jesus faced the Jewish leaders. Jesus faced the might of Rome. And in the cross, he defeated sin and death. And in the resurrection, he pours out his spirit of truth. Let me just finish by reading this passage from the book of Revelation. Listen to what John writes in the book of Revelation. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when the Lamb had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of uh, priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth forever. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever Take a moment. If you're comfortable, just close your eyes and bow your head and let God's Spirit speak to your heart.